Quiet on the set. Okay, everybody, quiet on the set. Scene one, take ten, Marker. From the studio of WHUPLP Hillsboro, welcome to Murmur. My name is Robert Malazzo, and over the next hour, together, we'll explore where culture meets craft. Today on Murmur, back to my old school, sommelier, singer, songwriter, cinephile, Sharon Van Etten is here. Murmur is a modern school film program. Welcome. Welcome back to Murmur. Welcome to Murmur for the first time. Welcome, friends. Robert Malazzo here with you from the Modern School of Film. We have a website for Murmur, murmurradio.com. We have social media at MSF Murmur, Twitter, Instagram. And we have the Mothership uh, website, uh, modernschoolfilm.com. Also, email us about the show. Ask us questions. We'll read them on the air. Murmurradio at gmail.com. Stay in touch. We're here every week live. We're also on iTunes. Bankable, storable, evergreen, forever young. Murmur. Uh, one of the uh, questions I'm asked most frequently uh, running the mo- when I founded the Modern School of Film, I wanted to reinvestigate this idea of uh, education. Uh, in general, I mean, through the lens of film education and media education and craft. But one of the um, questions I'm most asked now still from prospective students and people I meet are, should I go back to school? And it's a curious question. And my answer is always, why do you want to go? I, I think school, the idea of what a school is, you know, our, our uh, the modern school film, our subtle, not so subtle motto is... Uh, you don't need to be in a school to be a student. The question of whether one wants to go to school, the answer is, why do you want to go to school? Uh, do you want a degree? Why do you want a degree? Do you want to learn more? Do you want to meet people? Do you want a community? Do you want a new experience? All these questions kind of pour into the answer of why one wants to go to school. I uh didn't go to graduate school. I did an undergraduate degree. And I know as an instructor, I'm always kind of hesitant for this privileging of advanced degrees over information and aptitude and education. That said, when the Modern School Film started, uh, we, I wanted to investigate this idea of adult education. 
more more precisely, this idea of when do we stop learning? Why do we stop learning? Do we need to ever stop learning? And does entrance into a, a school, is that the only means to learn? Of course, most sort of official thought on this has to do with degrees, and I have my own opinions on degrees. I think it's a mixed bag, depending on what your vocational goal is. But in terms of art education, the system now is kind of changing how we learn art, how we learn craft. We can learn online, digital education, digital information, which again, I have my own mixed reaction to because I'm a teacher and I'd like to think that that still matters. I think we go to school and we're not asking to learn what to know. We're asking to learn how to know something. So I, I feel like I train a thought process as much as I train information because especially with film, you can it's really autodidactic. You can really learn film. Technical craft now is ubiquitous. We can learn these things online. But I wanted to explore this idea because I also think there's a baggage, there's a kind of reverse baggage with being a student. It feels like an expression of... Um, a lack of refinement or a lack of completion in one's journey. I never want to be past the point of being a student because I think studentry is is reliant on educa- is reliant on curiosity and the effort to know and the desire to know. And I, I feel like we're always wanting to know. There are things I want to know every day, and there are things I learn every day. And one of the reasons why I enjoy doing this weekly broadcast with you is. I learn tons. <laughs> if I didn't, if I didn't, if there were things I didn't know, I wouldn't do it. But obviously, I could do it every day, twenty-four hours a day, because there's always something to be learned and to be gained. Uh, so this idea of going back to school: when do we go back to school? What do, what do we get out of going back to school? And universities now are not making it any easier. The tuitions are exorbitant. The gains of a degree are less uh, quantifiable. What does a degree get you? Yes, I want my doctor to have an MD. I want my lawyer to have a law degree, I guess. For the latter, I guess. The former, absolutely. But I think for artists, what what I find curious and what I find really interesting and fascinating, and we've litigated this in the past and we will in the future, how artists can create communities in school Talking Heads sort of found each other in school. Pink Floyd were art students, who, some who knew each other through school. So you know, Devo, we've had Mark Mothersbaugh here. Uh, I'm sure we'll have other um, guests who have gone to school. Uh, today we have a really fascinating guest with us uh, who, who, who did a sort of book-ending of education. She went to school, left school, and it, when she was gone, she created this incredible career, or begin, the beginnings of an incredible career for herself and an incredible artistic uh, presence and, and, and status of, as a great contributor, as a singer-songwriter. And then she decided to go back to school, and, and that's where we want to start our conversation with Sharon Van Etten today when we bring her in Um, because it highlights something that I think, you know, the decision to go back to school 
is a very pure decision in the sense of it signifies something. Maybe it's a, a, a moment of need. Maybe it's a moment of rebooting. Maybe it's a moment of moment of uh, uh, community building. I know a lot of students who go to school because they want to meet other people who are where they are. And for filmmakers, the the idea is, well, maybe I'll meet my future producer in school. Or maybe I'll meet my future screenwriter in school. And that's a powerful idea. Now, we can build communities outside of school, but the routine, the rigor, the expectation of being a student still has value. And I think it may have more value, unfortunately, the availability and the warmth of invitation from academic institutions and training institutions and schools, universities, colleges, has waxed and waned and continues to do so as it redefines itself. I just, I guess I hope that school doesn't take ever take advantage of the fact that it may be needed because when it does, um, that's when the straight becomes the crooked. Uh, I, I, think schools are a, or I hope, I think they're a privilege and a right. And how we accept students into this, these systems, these training systems is really vital going forward. But today we're going to look at someone's motivation to go back into that training system. And particularly because today's guest is such a sensitive, smart, cool, intelligent artist with a career, with a reputation. So obviously, she doesn't need to go to school, but more importantly, she wants to go to school. Alice doesn't live here anymore. Alice! Open that bitch out the door! Alice doesn't live here anymore. Alice doesn't live here anymore. I've got it! Alice doesn't live any of those places anymore, because when they start closing in... Alice hits the highway. We ain't hiring no waitresses. I'm not a waitress, I'm a singer. You were one no singer. Oh, T, sure. Did you decide what you want for breakfast? First, I want a big smile. Do, do you want eggs? Yeah, ham and eggs. Ham and eggs. Okay, how do you want your eggs? Everybody, listen. We got us here a new girl. And her name is Alice. And today is her first day on the job. And Mel here says that she was a singer. How about them apples? <laughs> but hands off. Let the girl do her work. If there's going to be any payback around here, grab mine, Steve. You look, but don't you touch. Would you mind uh, turning around for me? Turn around for you? Why? I want to look at you. Well, look at my face. I don't sing with my... I'm not a waitress. I'm a singer. I want to sing. I want to be a singer. I'm a singer. I am a singer. I am a singer. I am a singer. I am a singer. Well, what about Friday? No, I can't. I'm sorry. Thank you. New Year's Eve. Well, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be here for New Year's Eve. What am I doing wrong? When I was 19, I got a job in a, this really nice hotel in Monterey, you know, and I would play the piano and sing, and I really liked it there, and that's why I want to go back and pick up where I left off. <laughs> do you want to go home, or do you want to sing? I want to do both. Can I have everything? I want you and Tommy with me. What the hell do you want? Oh, David, you just don't understand. You could be happy here. Oh, sure, sure. But I'm not going to let anybody stop me this time. Who's stopping you? 
As I said uh, earlier, I'm always fascinated by people who want to uh, willfully, of their own volition, go back to school, especially really smart people, especially artists, and especially people who have a career. And sometimes that person, that someone, is all of those things, uh, as is today's guest. She um, gleefully exclaimed via Facebook that she got an A on a recent history exam. And then uh, proclaimed that a perfect fall day was her reading about romanticism for art history. This is my kind of student. Uh, Her most recent uh, LP, self-produced, Are We There? Amazing LP and an EP, I Don't Want to Let You Down. Uh, She and I have a couple of things in common. Uh, She's an awful ice skater, apparently, as am I. Her dad had to rescue her as a child in Nutley, New Jersey, when she fell through the ice. Nutley is where Sopranos was filmed, everybody. Um, the other thing she has in common is her mom says she, as a child she would uh, go around talking to herself, uh, singing to herself. Well, I talk to myself. She sings to herself, which is much more artistic and thoughtful. I talk to myself. Um, another thing she has in common, probably the most important thing, she has recorded um, unbelievable music from her parents' basement and her basement. And what's ironic about that is I do this podcast radio show from my basement of my parents' room. (laughs) That's not true, Sharon. Uh, But we're close on a lot of those accounts. We're really excited to have a Jersey girl with some of the sexiest elbows in music. Ms. Sharon Van Etten (laughs) is with us here on on Murmur. Sharon, welcome to Murmur. Great to meet you. Hi. Hey. Oh, so nice to meet you, too. I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. No, you know, it's like, you're someone I love as an artist, and then I just kind of ran into so many people who I said I was having you on the show, and they're like, oh my god, like everyone. I haven't met someone who said a bad thing about you. Not that that matters, but it's just really cool that you did this, and thank you for being here. I really appreciate that. Um, of course, I want to tr- talk kind of in reverse order. You're up to so many cool new things this year. I mean, this is such an amazing year for you, but I want to go back a little bit in history because this this radio show is kind of linked to a school I run. So I want to kind of start there because I'm always curious about people who decide to go back to school. But before you made that decision, let's talk about your your family. Your mom was a history teacher, right? Yes. My, my mom was a history teacher, which blows my mind because she raised five kids, she and my dad, and between the two of them both working, she also went to school, and by the time I was in sixth grade, got her master's and became a teacher by the time I was in junior high. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, was I she, know. Was so she, was she her, your teacher? Her journey was incredible. She was my teacher in high school, yeah. What was that and, like? Um, what was that like having your mom as a teacher? Oh, actually, let me correct myself. She was a teacher in my high school, oh, okay. but we decided we decided um, not to have each other. Although I regret it now because she probably was the best history teacher in my school, and all my friends had her. And it was the <laughs> only the only class I didn't take like honors, like advanced. I, I um, so I kind of missed out. So that, that was my early rebellion. I thought I was being such a tough kid, you know. I'm like. Through history, but now I <laughs> now I'm making up for lost time. So, but no, she is a very smart and strong woman. So if anyone meets Sharon and there are gaps in her history knowledge, it's because those were the time those were the subjects her mom was teaching at the time. Just like <laughs> move past it. Just move past it. Did you guys did she ever consider homeschooling for you? Was that ever like a term used when you were a kid? 
No, not, not that I ever can recall. Um, she was pretty busy with uh, five kids. Yeah. And, and, you know, just being a, a good, positive role model. But she probably could have if she wanted to, but that never came into the into the picture. Isn't it amazing how it works out? I know this sounds like a firm grasp of the obvious. When, but when parents are so amazing and strong and doing things, quote unquote, for themselves, which they never are in that sense, they model such amazing behavior for for their children. It's really awesome. I mean, your your mom sounds like a kind of metaphysical role model in a way. Or she's, my, I mean, I think she's going to become my role model. It's she sounds like just an amazing woman in to 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 model yourself after. In, in some ways, I would imagine. Yeah, the older I get, you know, the more you know, the more aware you become of what your parents went through to raise you and to give you the best life they could, and. Of course, I was just one of those stereotypical teenagers that resented it all and was mad yeah. for no reason. And the, like I've, I've called my mom, like crying on Mother's Day, just apologizing to her for everything I've ever done. Oh. And she just laughs and says, "You know, you'll get it tenfold." And she's become more zen over the years as well. And. She's still someone I, I seek advice from constantly. Well, just because you disagree with your parents doesn't mean they're not right. You know, it's like one of those things. It it definitely those kind of arguments touch upon, as you say, like our insecurity as a kid. But but you you know you're going to become a therapist, so you'll have plenty. And we'll talk about that in a second. Because so you know, maybe family therapy is your manifest destiny. You know, um, I want to talk also. You know, you said something really cool. I mean, you say you said so many cool things, but one thing I thought was really super sweet was talking about how. How important it was that your music teacher from elementary school kind of connected with the idea that you had broken through, that she was someone you cited in your journey as being important. Mrs. Zittman? Ms. Zittman? Is That's that right. Yeah. Can you, right. Do you remember th- those days? Not not that you're old by any stretch, but do you do you remember her? Do you think about her in this journey, or is it just when, when you're asked about her, uh, your music teacher? I mean, absolutely. I actually just brought her up the other day over dinner, um, we had a, a friend over for dinner who's a young songwriter and talking about our early influences and, you know, just when you first find your voice. And I always kind of sang and liked music just because my parents were fans of music. So my we had a record collection that we listened to constantly. And, and you were in the choir the as well. Club. You were in the local choir? Yeah, but and that's how Ms. Zittman kind of introduced me into that world uh she had a group called the mini singers oh cool <laughs> was a, yeah that was an extra kind of music program outside of school and my older sister was in it and i think i just sang harmonies all the time without realizing i was singing harmonies and Amazing. she called me out in class one day to like sing out you know sing solo out by myself just to hear what i sounded like without the class Oh, wow. But I still remember her playing Moonlight Sonata and that moving me so much and piano music just moving me. And we lived in this old Victorian house growing up. It was like a fixer-upper that we were constantly fixing. And it came with this really old grand piano that I just saddled up to right away. And even though I didn't know how to play, my mom always said I was just singing along to it. And so that somehow seeped into my my music world but i had no idea what i was doing obviously it's pretty intuitive stuff when you're a kid and you're just you make sounds you (laughs) bang on things and you like the way it sounds and that's how it started but 
she's the one that made me sing and asked me to sing with this group, and it became a passion down the road. I could see the Coen brothers uh, having the character of the mini-singers in a movie, but then, <laughs> but then being really mini-singers, like small singers, like tiny p- people singing. But, you know, look, if you... Exactly right. If you want to run with that idea, Sharon, go for it. I I won't. I'm not trademarking that. Um, We're talking to Sharon Vedette here in Murmur. Um, That's an incredible recollection of her, and it's really cool that you honor her. You know, you said something really interesting. It's funny. I was interview. We did a a podcast with um, Sergio Diaz. Sergio was one of the founders of uh, Os Mutantes, uh, the Tropicalia movement that was really influential, and Beck and the Flaming Lips and all those guys kind of. were influenced, but we talked about the Portuguese language. I know people born in Brazil speak Portuguese and still study Portuguese. It's one of the, it's a very complex and beautiful language and you can study it all your life. I guess I mentioned that because when I think of you as a musician, you never master it. Do you? I mean, isn't that the cool part of it? It never ends. It's never complete. Is that when I think of like the parallelism between being a musician and being a student, is that part of it for musicians? Like, I'll never master it. That's a good thing. It's a false hope to master anything, right? Yeah, well, yeah. I think anything in life. You know, I mean, my dad still makes the joke. You know, he's been his. Uh, I'll just say he's he's older than me, <laughs> and he's like, you know, I've uh, he's had a couple careers in his life, and he says, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And I, I love this there, guy. <laughs> there are just constant. Hopefully, you're reintroducing yourself to new things all the time, and. And your interests change, and your and your goals change, your desires change, and your needs change, and and you and you listen to that, and you respect that, and you experiment, and and you collaborate, and you you just keep challenging yourself, no matter what it is. You don't have to be great at it, but there's there's so much to there's so much to do, and so much to try and experience. So I I know that I still I'll, I've never really found my voice. I'm I'm not, you know, the best musician in the world, but I like to learn. I like to try and improve on things, but I'll always try new things. Well, I love the fact so much. (laughs) Well, I love the fact. Sorry to interrupt. You know, it's funny. Sticking, I always say this, probably every episode of this, but I talk about um, Orson Welles was once asked, "What's your favorite word?" He said, "Amateur." Uh, he said the word comes from the Latin to love, and I want to do something out of love, not out of need, um, versus being a professional. So I, I, I don't find, you know, I'm not calling you an amateur, but you can call me one. You know, I, I, I think we're always evolving. You know, and by the way, I love your parents. I'm coming over for Thanksgiving for a couple of reasons. A, it's around Thanksgiving time. B, you know what's interesting? It seems like that. It's kind of like a metaphysical anniversary for you. Was didn't you leave Tennessee and go back to Jersey during? Wasn't it Thanksgiving time? Am I reading? Oh my gosh, you're right. Yes, yes, it is. I'm, did right. I bum you? Did I just bum you out? <laughs> no, no. It was. I mean, it was an intense. It was an intense coming home. Yeah. For sure. I yeah. mean, I hadn't seen my family in about four or five years, and um, just on a little selfish exploration for a while, and. When I finally had the courage to come home and, you know, the the unconditional love that you that I that I experienced from my family and that I just had the realization of what that kind of love meant was really overwhelming. Wow. And yeah, that was about um, eleven or twelve years ago. 
you, you know, I, you seem like a person just on first blush that seems very self-deprecating, not dep- beyond deprecation. I, you call your journeying selfish. I, I, you know, that's a harsh condemnation. But rather than go through that, I want to talk a little bit, not to get into these other rabbit holes, but I, I find your story is so amazing to me and to a lot of the young people I interact with. You said another thing, and I'm going to kind of, it's going to sound funny and maybe a little flippant. This idea of kind of bunking in with your parents again, not to sound glib about it, but a lot of young people are doing that now. And it's not what it used to be. It's it's a reality. It's a real reality. Can you reflect on that at all? I mean, obviously it's it's it puts you in touch with yourself and your youth as if you needed to be but is besides unconditional love what did that time afford you creatively or personally or did were you just totally bummed out the whole time i mean it was a mix of a lot of things of course yeah. i mean going home after that long is going to be a mix of emotions but at the end of the day I was going home to have a connection again and realizing that I had missed that. And also I felt like it was, for me, a really adult decision and a responsible decision because I was finally admitting that I needed help and that I was lost and that through it all I knew that they would be there for me and it would made me communicate what it was I was missing or lacking or the admitting that you need help, you mm. know? Yeah. yeah. And I think saying it out loud is so important when you're going through a crisis. And I knew that I, I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. I knew that I was pretty lost and I, you know, I had left an abusive relationship and I, I didn't know what to do. And and they helped, they helped me, they sat me down, and we talked about a plan. They reconnected with me with my old psychology teacher in high school, and I talked to her for a long time, and they helped find me a therapist to talk to because I was still learning how to communicate with my parents as an adult. They thought it would be good to have an outside person for me to connect with. So... And they said they they would agree for me to stay if I got a job and I went to school part-time and if I saw this therapist regularly. And we had an agreement. And that was really what helped me become a bit more stable emotionally and get in touch with what it is I cared about and really learn to open up. And even if it wasn't easy to talk about, the things that I had been through and how it affected me and what I wanted to do moving forward. And I got a job at a local wine store. I started seeing a therapist who helped me acknowledge my social anxiety and learn how to deal with it and expressed to me how writing music was really therapeutic for me. So I should focus on that and how it helps me. And and I was going to school part-time, and I had a psychology class and a photography class back then. And that has all come into play over the last 10 years and really helped me find myself and deep into my 30s now. <laughs> I, I find every molecule of that brave. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, or I don't know if it's been reflected back to you or even you've, that you've taken it in personally. I find everything you just said to me an act of a 
incredible of intense bravery. Um, you also took on an internship, which uh, is Latin for the for the word uh, "we won't pay you." Um, <laughs> you. So you you didn't simply go back. You you went through like you went through this thing. I mean, again, you're not asking for my my reflection here, but I I just find it inspiring that the way you phrase that time and your candor is simply amazing. Because I agree with you. The hardest thing to do as a human being is to ask for help uh, in, on, on any level, I think. Um, and also you talk, talk about therapy, and, and I know friends now older than me, and you, know, we're rough, you and I are roughly the same age, and they're still, what's going to happen if I go to therapy? Will it change my creativity? Will people look down on me? I mean, you took on every, I'm going to use the word taboo, like kind of personal dagger, and you said, bring it on. Um, so with great, great pain, that must have been pain, but pain for an end, right? I mean, did it shed a lot of that pain going through that process? I mean, I, I feel like I, I wore my heart on my sleeve and I learned how to talk about it. And as I got old, as I got through it, I realized the people that were connecting to that and understanding it and being supportive of it were the people that really became, you know, they're friends that I still have to this day. And, and I'm stronger because of all those things. I mean, it was, you know, there's things that you have to really learn how to talk about, even that you're not proud of. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, just reconnecting with my past, it really helped me move on too. I mean, my, I reconnected with someone in, that I met in Tennessee, where the place that I left to come back home, because she had moved to New York and got a job. Mm. And her name's Alicia, and she had gotten a job at a label, and she's someone that I reached out to to reconnect with, who's the one that got me the internship at the label. And I had these little signs of like the universe just kind of winking at me along the way for all the people in the past that I reconnected with that yeah. ended up helping me on this journey, another friend that I had reconnected with that I knew in Tennessee, he worked at a, a record store and I worked at the venue and I would flyer for shows there and I would recommend him shows and he would recommend me music. And he had moved to New York because he got a job out here at Sony Studios back in the day. And he recorded my first demos ever <laughs> before I even recorded in my parents basement amazing amazing and, i'm actually i'm actually in your parents basement now recording this is that <laughs> is that weird full circle you yeah, know totally and I, I promise we're about to get into like fun uh, like other stuff but i just i gotta say i think in life it's the micro the human micro is often ignored like there are a lot of people out there and you're living proof you know it's interesting i remember i know when i go I'm just remarking on a very specific time in my life when I was going through a depression and a friend of mine said, are you still applying for jobs? And I thought that was an odd question. She said, are you still applying for jobs? I said, yeah. She said, then you're moving forward in the sense of sometimes it's those small gestures, you know, reconnecting Mm -hmm. with someone or just, you know, going to a coffee shop or whatever, like those small the, to avoid death by a thousand cuts, it's the small band aid, you know. And I, mm-hmm. I just you, you were moving mountains, like as I look at it on paper, and I think that's awesome. And anyway, it's inspiring. And sorry, sorry to make you re- relitigate this. I just think it never gets old, and it, this is about as useful as anything that anyone listening to this can can get to. But now let's get to a little bit of the fun stuff. But before we get to the fun stuff, why did you go back to school? Do you want to be a therapist? What kind of therapist do you want to be? 
<laughs> Sorry, I know I, I asked oh, you a question oh, no. and I answered it and whatever. <laughs> it's being in your mom's basement is weirding me out. Anyway, go on. I'm here to answer your questions. <laughs> I want you to know what's going on in my head and my life. I love it. I'm still understanding it. <laughs> you know, my nickname, you know, you made fun of yourself before by saying, or maybe not made fun of yourself, but you know, I'm, you know, being an amateur, but I'm, my nickname is kind of hobby girl in my family because I, I, I don't do anything very greatly, but I, I will. I love to learn how to do things. I can show you how to start anything. Amazing. <laughs> so, <laughs> when when did but, um, well then go go to that moment of I want to go back to school. What was the tipping point to sound like Malcolm Gladwell for a moment? What was that tipping point? It was actually on tour, and you know I've I've been we've been pretty nonstop touring since. I mean, as a band, 2010, 2011, we've been pretty aggressive. Nine months out of the year. And in that six years, I had met a lot of fans who have responded so personally to my music and trying to understand what that meant along the way, reading letters, hearing stories, getting emails, you know, young songwriters in high school sending me songs that they wrote with their hearts broken and just trying to understand that kind of responsibility as an artist of what that means and why they're responding to it. But then also why, why is it writing therapeutic for me? And why are people responding to my songs of heartache? Like, why is that therapeutic for them? And and it's something that you can't really, you know, music, you can't always touch or understand, but you know that you need it and you know that it affects you, you know that it helps you. But I felt like some of these fans that I wanted to meet, I wish that I was certified to talk to them and advise them and I could just sit down with them and help them learn how to communicate and and find an outlet because some people didn't write, didn't play music and felt really shut off from the world except for, you know, coming to a show like ours. And, and I really wanted to... I. I got to the point where I just felt like a phony up there performing these songs for people that I I felt like I wanted to understand better. But then also I wanted to understand myself more and why I'm singing. <laughs> people come to listen to my songs that are just really intense and heavy. And I, I just started to question why I'm performing, that I, I should spend a little more time understanding what it means. So I took a break starting last summer from the road, at least full-on touring. I've done stuff here and there. And I applied to school. And I'm only going part-time because I feel like I still need to have time to do a little bit of music here and there for my own sanity. Um, And it's still a huge part of me. So I'm not retiring for people that are worried. I'm not retiring, but I'm trying to figure out how to do a little bit of everything and dip my toes in without, you know, com- you know, still finding time to do both. So, w- w- would you visualize yourself as a practitioner, a, th- a counselor, or a therapist, or is this kind of an internal, yeah. internal mechanism to that you want to develop for for this whole life journey of yours? You know, my goal is by the time I'm fifty is to become a therapist. Um, and I actually went to a an information session in my college yesterday for like what master's programs are available and 
And there's a new one called Mental Health Counseling that is a, a two years master program that sounds intense but really progressive and can place you, you know, you can be in any part of the clinical field that you want to be in pretty much. So you have a lot of freedom with what you do with that master's. But I'm far from that because I, you know, I, I think I'm with my transfer credits from the very little school I went to. I have, after this semester, I'll be a sophomore mm-hmm. and I still have like general requirements to take care of. So <laughs> all that will be a journey, but it's, it's, it's so, it's, I love taking these classes right now. I have an abnormal psychology class and an art history class. And so I'm doing, you know, one psychology and one general studies. And it's, I feel like I'm, I'm learning a lot. And it's just wonderful to think differently and to think about something that isn't music and, and expand your mind a little bit, you know, exercise a different part of your brain for a while. I, I love that. I, I always think we go to university far too young. I, I think, you know, I do. I, I don't know what we we, be, we could get jobs maybe during that time, but I, I feel like, I'm, forget youth is wasted on the young. I think this idea of learning it needs needs muscle behind it. It needs a life musculature behind it, and I think you have that. Hey, are you going to study abroad, or are you going to rush a sorority? Like, what about the fun stuff? Are you going to go to football games? <laughs> I don't think New York uh, colleges have football teams, but are you are you going to? I mean, have you met students? Let's let's make it actually a more real question. Are are you interacting with students, or is this really like a personal meditation for you? Well, I'm trying to learn how to inter- interact with students. I, I've met a, I've met a couple that were really nice, and I. Feel That's about it. Um, That's about the average in general. Just so I <laughs> manage your expectations. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I think you know I'm you know when I when I start talking to people about how old I am and my experience and why I'm going back. I mean, I am I am. On the surface, you look at a class and you don't think, "Oh, Sharon looks old," but then when you know, as soon as the students start speaking, you're like, "Oh, okay." They, <laughs> Why did your voice is it like a low? Is it just a, a cadence and a security and yeah. thoughts that you have? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm in a class of you know classes of like <laughs> 19 year olds. You know, yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean that like still giggle when they that when the teacher talks about getting drunk or smoking weed or something. You know, in class about you know, talking about drug addiction or side effects and things like that. And you just, just little things like that. You're like, okay. Like (laughs) (laughs) people are there. Like I'm, I'm in a, in a, in a, in a state school. So like a city university. So it's, it's people that really want, like students really want to be there and it's affordable. So students are driven and they're not, you know, they're not, it's not like too stressful because they, they're not like, they're not there with like high stress majors or anything, but they're, they're working and going to school and I'm the minority there, you know, it's a very mixed culturally, which is also really refreshing. And so I find it, I find it challenging because I'm a bit of the outsider, but, um, you know, this is really only my first semester, um, because I was, I had started in February, and then two weeks into school, you took a little I break. 
Yeah, yeah, I was going to talk about your break because it was a cool break. It's a really cool break uh, um, because you you were forced into yet another profession. What was that profession, Sharon Van Etten? What was that profession? <laughs> uh, I got I got asked to audition for a Netflix series, and um, uh, was it a series we may have heard of? <laughs> well, it's a very anticipated. Oh, it's not. It's not. Oh, oh, no way! Really. I'll tell you. I'll tell you both, though. Oh yeah, go ahead. So the net, the Netflix series, I can't tell you what it is. Okay. It's not out yet, okay. and we don't really have much information on it. But I am a character on a Netflix series that will probably be out early next year. Cool. And so I had to, after like the big decision to go back to school, <laughs> I was in. I started in February and was two weeks in when I got asked to audition, and on a fluke, I totally got the part. And That's awesome. <laughs> so the college was the college was really sweet and deferred my enrollment for the fall, so I could come back in the fall because I'm I'm only like a like I was only like a like a, a secondary character, so I'm in out of like four out of the eight episodes. Um, wow. So that was that was kind of funny and random, and then during all that. Yeah, I, we got asked to um, perform as a band for Twin Peaks. Oh, that's and, awesome. That's really cool. But we don't know, you know, I'm not a character on it. Right. And I don't even know if it'll make it in the actual show, if it'll be like in the extra, in the, in the B-sides or whatever on the DVD. But um, yeah, we heard that's coming out early next year as well. Was Lynch, so, around, was Lynch around when you guys were on set? Yes, he was, and he had his uh, was he megaphone. He had his, he wasn't smoking, but the room was full of smoke, <laughs> and it was like you know part of the roadhouse scene, and for cool. one of one of the bands. <laughs> to, you know, one of his favorite directions to give actors is, "I need more wind here. I need more wind." Like he ta- he seems to give at- notes in very poetic phraseology another thing he tends to do which i think ties right into your tradition is he he likes to direct with headphones listening to music he likes to listen to music actually on the set which and also not only the mm-hmm. music to the thing but music kind of a metaphysical thing and and obviously he does his own music as well did you have any interaction with dave um, very little, but he was very sweet. We ran it two times and he came up to us in between, asked if we were comfortable. The only adjustments he made were to the things on stage, like my microphone, an amp, and it was like a matter of inches and a slight angle change. And a couple of tall people in the audience, he kind of switched <laughs> around and... Yeah. And things like that, and I got to sit next to him in a chair watching another band perform because they were just shooting bands the whole day. And well, as a cinephile, um, as a, which we're going to get to in our last segment, <laughs> as a cinephile, what's going through your mind? Are you like, this is my life now? What is going? <laughs> I mean, that's pretty. Ra- that's pretty rad, I was dude. Just silently <laughs> giggling to myself, you know. Yeah. Um, we we had um, so. Zeke uh, Hutchins played drums with me, and um, we flew out there, just two of us, because we didn't have many details about the day. They basically had us on call, and we let two of our musician friends in L.A. just know, like, we don't have any information, and if you don't mind us being on call, it's just you can be a part of this. So we each had a friend in town just kind of, like, wait for our call when we got the call, and 
and they joined us last minute and you know it's just a very surreal experience so we had a friend to kind of like you know laugh with about the surreality of it all and um oh, cool that's really cool uh, have you listened yeah. to his music have you ever heard Dave, uh, david lynch's music oh yeah Oh, yeah. Any thoughts? And, you know, be as agnostic or not as you want. I mean, it's all taste, you know. Any thoughts about... I mean, it's just... I mean, it's so... I mean, I... Like, literally, the first song that comes to my mind is Crazy Clown Time. Oh, my God. That's my best friend's favorite song. We took a road trip. He terrorized me with that song. (laughs) My God. We would drive down roads at night, and he'd say, Hey, Rob, do you know what time it is? I would say, No. He would say, Crazy Clown Time. And he would play that song. (laughs) Tell people what oh, crazy man. clown time is. Oh. oh, it is it is so intense. <laughs> it is. It, it is. is and it is it's like it's <laughs> dark as hell. I remember when I first saw I remember I first saw the video and you know, it's because it's kind of funny. Yeah. And and it's and but it's really dark and it's just a bunch of characters hanging out in their backyard spitting on each other, blowing fire, you know, and like in this... God, you're, bring, this you're bringing it all back phase. to me. Yeah. Oh it's kind of like they're coming to take me away, haha. They're coming to take me away, haha. Oh, yeah. It's like, it's, it's, like, it's, it's a, a structured loop. Mantra. Yeah, it's like a structured yeah. loop, like nursery rhyme. Yeah. It's like a bit of a swagger. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's, but it's definitely like, kind of like a... Like a, you know, like Nick Cave kind of like meets like I, I like Tim Burton. I, you know, it's just it's it's, but it, it's so catchy too. You know, I get it, but it is a repetitive theme, and he's just got a sound you you recognize yeah. right away. Yeah, yeah. That first I, record is pr- that first album is is just rad. I mean, there's a lot of parts of you can. Exp- experience it's a headphone record and it's definitely like a it's fascinating i find i find it fascinating you know it's beyond craftsmanship into kind of as you say like a design it's like a mental design which is not shocking for him uh he's, mm-hmm. he's a kind of mental interior mental designer we're talking to sharon yeah. Van and i want to get into scoring you know um scoring um first of all the real thing is how we're not leaving here without talking about how big a movie fan I think you are, not knowing you. Just based on the stuff you referenced, from the Nouvelle Vague to Woody Allen to Terrence Malick. But let's talk about scoring, because there's so many really smart, cool, thoughtful musicians doing soundtracks. It's not a new thing, but it's now it's like it's part of, of, the, of, the, of the mix. When you were, can you talk about how you were asked, when you were asked, and what you thought you were at when you were asked to, to score Stor- Stormy, um, sorry, um, Strange Weather that premiered at Toronto this year? What, what, was the, what was your thought process when you were asked? Well, it was perfect timing because it was towards the end of last year when I was just making all my plans to go back to school part-time and figure out how I can still pursue music without being on the road. As much as I love touring in my band and my fans and everything, I I knew that I needed time home. But I also knew that I needed to grow as an artist and be home to be able to live life to have anything to reflect on. Mm. So in the midst of all that, um, Catherine Dykeman reached out to to Zeke Hutchins, who um, he used to play drums with me. He also manages me. And she reached out to him just to say that she was looking for someone to score her new indie film starring Holly Hunter. 
And who sends her love, by the way. I emailed her. I was going to have her on with us. She couldn't say enough cool things about you and loves the soundtrack, by the way. She wanted me to tell you that. But anyway, sorry. Uh, She is. I was nervous because it was my first venture into this world. And so I was a little hesitant. And, of course, I have a very humble studio and... You know, as I like to do, I have a humble studio, and when I say studio, I mean I have one really nice mic that I move around a lot, and <laughs> um, but I spend a lot of time on it. <laughs> but I met her. We met at her office. I mean, at a at Zeke's management office, and we sat down. And as soon as she walked in the door, I just I knew that I loved her. Like she had a crazy, drastic box cut, big chunky glasses, like <laughs> bohemian slash grunge style clothes, and like hugged me right away upon meeting. This is and writer writer director Catherine Dykeman, just to uh just to contextualize it, right? You're talking about meeting Catherine for the first time. Yes. Yeah, and, yeah. She's you. amazing. She's a force of and nature. Yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. 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 She walks in a room and she's just she can just tell that she's like deep in like through and through her being, she is just, she loves everybody, loves everything. She's just so passionate about everything that she touches, anything that she's around. Like, And I, I, I feel enriched every time I hang out with her, whether or not we're working. And she had so much faith in me before I had done anything that I was like, oh, yeah, I believe I can do this. I didn't think I could before I met her, but okay, I can do this. Oh, I love that. And she had referenced Paris, Texas, the movie. Uh, Ry Cooter. Uh, Ry Cooter. Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> like, Amazing. Well, Paul Order. Like, oh, oh, <laughs> no like, pressure, Sharon. <laughs> yeah, I know. So you're like pretty spacious. Okay. You know, and the idea. But that's, idea a, that's of, exactly the adjective. You pulled out that. No, but you pulled. That's exactly. That's a composer's approach. I love that you settled on that that kind of word. You know, which is great. You you could either be cowed and say, or or insulted, like, oh, how dare you? That's really cool that you took it that way as a, as a kind of architecture to work from. Um, yeah. I mean, like also like the the idea of working on a score. It's it's at first counterintuitive to the songwriter because I start off with a melody, a beginning and an end, a form, and, you know, work on instrumentation and, like, work with verse and chorus. And really it's like we need 15 seconds right here of some kind of a drone to build this scene in this emotive way and, you know, like, just coaching myself and not singing all the time and and not necessarily having a progression of chords but learning how to build intensity yeah. without doing that all the things that I've learned how to do I was unlearning to make this a scene better you know that, and that's it's a very different style of writing <laughs> that that said would you do it again Absolutely. Well, you know what's funny um, and fascinating? I, I find when I interview musicians who have scored, it's one of two responses. 
A, I'll never do it again, and it was really counterintuitive, and I'll never do it again. Or I love it. I love working in that way. You know, I, I did. I interviewed Moby, who scored uh, Southland Tales, the Richard Kelly uh, film, and I said, "What did you learn from scoring that film?" He said, "I learned that I never want to score another film again." But, <laughs> but some filmmakers, well, I also, yeah. I also feel like it's who you're working with, and I, I have heard horror stories, and I know yeah, that, yeah. especially with big budget. Stuff. It's like there's a lot. There's a lot more feedback. There's a lot more back and forth. There's a lot more compromise. And lucky for me that I was working with an artist who was a huge music fan, and it was a collaboration. And I'm not saying there were moments where I wasn't banging my head against the wall. <laughs> like I don't know if I'm making this scene better or not. Like I had days like that for sure. But. Well, next time um, that happens, record I, it. Just record that banging sound <laughs> and sample it in. You know, it's funny. I always tell you're you're hitting on another thing that we could go a rabbit hole. We can go down if we want to do this again some other time. And I want to thank you for being with us today, Sharon Van Etten. But Anthony Gonzalez, who's the kind of evil genius behind M eighty three, talks about scoring the uh, Tom Cruise film Oblivion, and he talks about where you're kind of tinkling on this idea of budget and expectation. But then it becomes like scoring a TV commercial. That's not even you know, as you say that's not that's beyond humanity what you did seems like it has a had a great human protagonism to it that collaboration between you and uh the filmmaker yeah i had a i had a really really lovely like it was an ongoing conversation you know and in some ways even though the film is finished it's still a conversation and i hope that our relationship grows over the years and that she'll still want to work with me down the line in some capacity you know like she was she was a dream. And, you know, I've learned a lot from that experience and collaborating with other people and, and separating what, again, focusing on what a collaboration is versus my own music and yeah, being yeah, okay yeah. with those being different identities. I mean, I also started working with someone doing, like, like experimenting with movie trailers, <laughs> which is a whole other world. Absolutely. You know, but I'm... I don't know if it's my forte, but again, I am—I just love learning how to do stuff and seeing how different worlds work because it's definitely not the world I've been living in. We, we uh, the modern school film, which is the school I founded. We our motto is: you don't need to be in a school to be a student. You could be on the Mars, and you'd still want to know why the planet is red. I mean, I, someone like you, that will never change. I had just one last question. It may sound a little um, detailed f for a, a salutatory question, but I, I heard you uh, or read you talking about your process of writing um, and talking about writing, and you said, I, I write lyrics the way I talk because I'm usually, I'm usually talking to myself as I'm singing. I read that then actually it's funny yesterday morning I was listening to Amy Mann in the car and Amy a lot of her music it's almost dialogue in a way it's almost her voice and yours as well I, I guess I'm going to impose this thought on you would you ever write a screenplay? Well I would definitely want to collaborate with that I wouldn't I would want to have another writer going in on it I definitely I would try it but I would want to have somebody else to talk to, mm. like have it not just be a conversation with myself. I feel like it would be better that way. Mm. Uh, for the, for the subject we didn't, um, we didn't cover today, please go online 
and look at uh, the video uh, of Taking Chances that Michael Palmieri directed of your song, Taking Chances. Then your last bit of homework, not you, everyone else but you, you're excused from this assignment. Go watch Cleo 5 to 7, Agnes Varda, and you know, follow the breadcrumbs because uh, Sharon gets it. You know, She understands the graphic history of great filmmaking. Um, I just want to leave you with one thought. It's funny. I, I, when I got out of school, I, I was an apprentice to filmmakers. That's how I kind of cut my teeth. And I asked this filmmaker, I'll leave his name out of it, really great filmmaker, um, what, how do you become a great filmmaker? How do you become an interesting filmmaker, I asked him. And he said, you become an interesting person first. And you, <laughs> that sounds exactly when I think of you now and when I read about you before, you are that and you are becoming even more so. And I can't wait to hear what you're, this is not the end. This is like ground zero for you. This is the beginning. <laughs> This is the beginning. Do you, do you feel, do you, is this an exciting moment for you? Uh, 20, yes. 2016 and onward, it sounds like this is yes. your time. You know, we're just, it's funny, we, we laugh all the time over here, just like, you know, I'm just trying to figure out how to do it all. I'm just trying to figure out how to, <laughs> right. how to try to do everything and, um, you know, hopefully I want to grow, I want to, I want to allow myself the adventure and I I hope that I I hope that everybody that has been fans of my music down the road understands all the different paths I'll be taking over the next however long. <laughs> I, I think they will because I think they wonder if they could do it as well. And as you talked about, that kind of answer is emblemized. I can tell you, Sharon, you can do it, but unless you're going through it, you know, Joni Mitchell said there's some things you can only do if you if yourself. There are only th some things you can only go through yourself. Um, and as Ellen Burstyn said to Chris Christopherson and Alice doesn't live her anymore, uh, she said, I want to sing and I want to go home. He said, you want to sing and you want to go home? You can't have both. And she says, why not? Um, Sharon, thank you so much for being with us today. You are awesome and even more awesome to talk to than to think about. So uh, I want to thank you for being with us and we'd love to do this again sometime. Well, thank you so much for having me. And and again, it means a lot that you wanted me to be part of your show. So um, thank you. Be well and uh, and go back to you have you, I'm sure you have homework, young lady. So, you know, we'll catch, <laughs> we'll catch up with you again soon. Take care, Sharon. Be well. All right. Thanks. You too. Being a student uh, is something you can do any day. You can wake up and decide to be a student. You know, one of the virtues amongst the many vices of the internet is learning. And as any student knows, knowing one piece of information is not enough. You need to know two pieces of information uh, because the deception of learning on your own is feeling that any one truth is the truth. Um, and ain't that the truth. I want to thank um, Sharon Van Etten for being with us here today on Murmur. Murmurradio.com is the website. Murmurradio at Gmail is the email. At MSF Murmur. At MSF Murmur. Listen to us at whupfm.org every week and on iTunes. We'll see you again. <laughs>